our podcast is brought to you by Tech GC. If you want information about Tech GC, look down in the notes below. All right. Tech GC rocks. Tech GC rocks. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. We're here. We're here. Using our using our guests platform to make this happen. Thank you, Colin, for being so generous. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. <laughs> uh, all right, Pedro, you 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 welcome Colin. You guys know each other. You go way back. Yeah, man. Colin and I worked together at Oracle 755 years ago when we were just I think we were both like lowly corporate counsels, right? Like we we're just like Yeah. You were there yeah. you were there when I got there, so you were very senior and much more prestigious than i was but um yeah. Uh, yeah, we got to work together yeah grizzled old <laughs> transactional fucking commercial lawyer um but yeah i mean look i i'll tell you two things about colin andy and then we'll i'll shut the fuck up colin's like work demeanor is one of my favorite ever because he doesn't take himself too seriously it's like a jokester and sort of laid back but the substance is always there like no long-winded emails, no long-winded like editing, you know, comment bubbles, 500 words. No, I don't agree. Here's why. Here's an alternative. Like very crisp, very sharp, very to the point, lots of wit, made work fun. Love that about Colin. Um, I think the other piece of it is like while at work, always having other substrates and surfaces to engage on. Like we talked about hockey, we talked about family we talked about the future we talked about mental wellness like we would just cover lots of topics in meetings that were about other topics as ways to talk about the things that we actually wanted to address it was just like very nuanced kind of like approach which at surface level doesn't seem like it's intentional but after getting to know colin you know it is he's very intentional about how he engages and i love that about it man Anyway, I'm not going to, he's also a fucking jerk and I can't stop. Oh, yeah, that's insane. You're going to make, you're gonna make <laughs> me blush. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but he's just an all around good guy, man. And he doesn't waste your time, which I loved. I loved. Um, and I loved working with you, man. And we've remained friends ever since. And you've gone on to do amazing things. And I hope we talk about them next. Can I, can uh, I, can I, ask, yeah. Can I ask you a question about that? You rate, that's an interesting point. Like he doesn't waste your time. I think that's like a really time underrated super valuable in-house lawyer maneuver to not waste anyone's time because people are used to lawyers wasting their time so like mm -hmm. is that where does that come from for you colin what, what do you think i mean to be totally honest with you i don't have time to waste i'm i'm 45 years old at this point like you know it, my my aunt used to say that um as life goes on it's like a roll of toilet paper it spins faster as you get towards the end right so I don't have time to waste. That's the, the honest truth. And, you know, after 20 years of doing this, I, I really don't have time for bullshit. Like, um, you, you know, honestly, time is precious to me. My free time is precious to me. So if I'm wasting it, you know, spinning my wheels, talking to somebody about something that doesn't matter, I don't, I don't have time for that. It's just, yep. that's where it comes and from. You know, and you know, what's interesting is like that can translate into you actually being a jerk, but you're not. And that's where the art is, right? Like some people interpret like, like, for example, at work I, for the last five or six years, I don't do one on ones that are longer than 15 minutes. There's nothing I have to talk about with anyone one on one for more than 15 minutes, like uh, except my family and my close friends. And so at first that's off putting to people. They're like, this guy's a jerk. Who does he think he is? Well, 
I just think like, I don't want to waste your time and you don't want to waste mine. And if we know we only have 15 minutes, we'll do some pleasantries and we'll get to it and then we'll go. And yeah. like over time, people warm up to it. You don't have to turn into an asshat. You just, you know, are efficient. Now, and I've always said, it's a hell of a lot easier to be nice than it is to be an asshole. Like it actually takes effort to be an asshole. Um, whereas being nice and saying hi and thank you and please and all that shit, that doesn't take any effort. But to be an asshole, that actually requires effort. I think you're right about that. For some people. I think <laughs> yeah. it, some I, people it's just natural. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to tell you. Ass hat. <laughs> I yeah, think it's. Yeah. It could be genetic. I don't know. Could be genetic. Yeah. I think, I think it's innate for some people, truly. <laughs> it's just a natural ability. <laughs> When do you, so when, like, true question for both of you, when do you have to turn on the uh, assholes too strong, but like, when do you have to turn on sort of like, all right, I'm turning this up a notch. It, we got to get, have a serious conversation about something, you know, like, look, this is extremely risky and stupid. If we do X, when do you like notice to turn that on? I don't ever really like fired up to be totally honest with you. I'm, I'm that guy who's because I, it is me, actually. I can get really fucking pissed. Um, but it's not my nature at work to do that. So I'm kind of the guy who's like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed, right? You know, that sort of passive aggressive, because actually, I think that's more effective. If somebody feels like you're, somebody feels like, wow, I've really let this person down. I think you're going to get a better reaction. And if you just get pissed, my reaction to somebody getting mad at me was always, well, go, fuck you. Like, now I'm just going to go do some, I'm probably going to do the opposite of what you asked because the way you acted was such a, you were such a prick about it that I'm just not going to deal with that. But when you have that sort of paternal man, I'm just, I'm just kind of disappointed that I think really, I, I think that digs deep into people. That works really well internally, but here's where it doesn't work. And in, in my opinion, when I'm in a difficult negotiation with a vendor, yeah. And the vent and the vendor is being really, really unreasonable towards the towards us as the buyer. In that situation, if somebody's like like I've had people make really passive aggressive comments and red lines and like really be like super, super frustratingly angering and aggressive. And I think you can't you can't be disappointed in someone like that. And that, no. that will, won't resonate. Right. So you have to be like, we're out of here. No, that, I think that's where it's definitely a different animal when you're dealing with a third party. So I would kind of, I think when you, when it's somebody that you have to interact with on a consistent basis as poor, as opposed to a transactional basis, you have to take it in a different way. But yeah, if you're just trying to get a contract signed and you're like, I, I'm not going to have to deal with this person for another three years until it renews, then absolutely like, fuck you. This is unreasonable. Like, Let's do, <laughs> let's just get this done. Stop being an asshole. That's a totally different thing to me. You know, what's crazy is like, I know for sure people think I'm confrontational. And when, when I'm lit up, I'm confrontational. I never curse at you. I've never rude. I'm never unprofessional, but like I have found that lawyers, especially non-litigators tend to be like sort of confrontation averse. And what I mean by confrontation isn't like you're a jerk, you're a prick. That's not what I mean. What I mean is I don't agree with you. That doesn't ring true to me. I don't think what you're saying is what's written down on that piece of paper. This is not what we agreed. Like that's confrontation, but it's direct. Why would I be like, well, I'm not sure. Can you tell me what you mean? No, hey, I don't think that's what you're saying, man. I think yeah. what you're saying is X. What it should say is Y. Can we rewrite it? Like what is so bad about that? Nothing. I'm fired up. Now. Nothing. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> 
Hey, Pedro, you came on a little strong in that meeting. Not really. Your fucking red lines came on a little weak. That's what happened. Like, like, you know, like your your red lines were trash. And like passion and emotion, like there's another thing, like sort of like Protestant, indifferent, dispassionate disposition is also not something that's built into me. So like just because I'm fired up doesn't mean I'm angry. Just because I speak at a higher volume than... Bob Ross doesn't mean I'm pissed off. It just means me, man. I'm just animated. Like this is nonsense. What are we doing here? Well, this I is, think Colin, this is you're a lot of the same thing. That's why I'm flagging all of that because I think we're similar much, in that way. Very much. Yep. This is present in litigation quite a bit. What you're calling out, Pedro, like especially the sort of passive aggressive, you know, the email, the crafted email that insults oh you God. in a way that is sort of like alarmingly gentle, but 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 also like stabs you. So like. How did you approach that, Colin? Because what you're describing, you know, is is a transactional mindset, I think, and yeah. someone that's been in house for a while and understands the value of like all my internal relationships matter a lot, and and in my voice, you know, needs to resonate with certain folks internally. So, like, how did you bridge the gap? Because those are different things. Yeah, well, I have a theory. So, as you guys know, I was a litigator for 11 years of my career. Um, I have a theory about litigators and that's that 95% of them were beat up as kids. Um, and that litigation is their way of getting back at the world for like a rough childhood. And, you know, I'm, I'm being flip here, right? Um, there's a lot of really good litigators out there who are normal people, but when you get the people who write the, um, the passive aggressive emails and turn litigation into a personal war, those are the people who were beat up as kids. And they're trying to get back at something that happened to them. And I don't have a great reaction to it. I learned my mentor as a litigator told me one thing. He said, the facts are the facts. Don't ever try to change them. So when you start making litigation personal and you start making decisions based on the fact that you're making it personal, that's how you get your law license pulled, right? That's when you start doing stupid shit because you're trying to win a case at all costs. So from my perspective, it was never personal to me. I did the best for my clients. The facts are the facts. If there were bad facts, then you're probably going to lose. I will try my hardest, but that's the reality of it. And I'm not going to overstep any bounds. I'm not going to. I'm not going to create personal tension. I'm not going to go after anybody personally. I'm going to do the best I can because this is my job. Um, but I always, I, I always kept that line separate, right? My what about job, in a depot? What about so- in a depot, Colin? Like, what about when you're deposing someone? And you're trying to suss out, and I'm not a litigator, but I'll, I'll just play one for one second. Like if I'm <laughs> deposing someone who's a critical witness or something, and I'm trying to suss out like how good of a witness are they going to be? Can I break them? Could I, you know, what, what is it going to lead to, you know, the resolution of the case at some point? Like, how do you approach that? Because there is tactics, right, of, of being aggressive. The, there are. I mean, I think it depends a lot if you're going to do a jury trial or if you're going to do a bench trial. If you're going to do a jury trial, maybe there's some benefit to theatrics. If you're going to do a bench trial, I think any good judge is going to look at you and say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is a waste of time. Screaming at witnesses and all that crap. It's just a waste of time. The other part is if you do that in a deposition, if you raise your voice and you start to get animated and stuff, then the witnesses, if they're if they're remotely intelligent, they're going to know that something's up. Why is this going on? If you can keep it relatively monotone, then you can get actually the information that's useful to you at trial, right? Because they're not going to have any idea why you're asking this question or if you're boxing them into a corner. Smart, but if you yeah. start to get theatrical, 
They're going to say, what's going on? They may clam up. That's when you start getting yes, no answers, which do you no good, right? So what's for interesting me, to me about, oh, go ahead, Kyle, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, you know, I, I practiced a year in Mississippi and I went to a couple of trials and down there it was all jury trials and it was all theatrics. Um, and the plaintiff's attorneys who were really good down there were actors. They weren't lawyers. Didn't matter what they said. It was all about the, the, just the grandstanding and the, the pompous nature of it. And, you know, they would entertain juries and they would win cases that way. I'm imagining yeah. like a closing argument when someone faints or something. Yes. Pretty, pretty close, right? And you could say, you know, at the end of those cases, we lost a lot of those cases as defense counsel because we were using the law and the facts and they were just entertaining a jury. Now you lose that on appeal. So you kind of just had to sit back and take it. But mm. when you watch that, you sit there and go, wow, this guy's watched a lot of John Grisham. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it, right? If that's how you want to win a case, that's great. But at the end of the day, the law and the facts do matter at some point. You're going to get somebody who's smart um, as you go up the ranks and they're going to say, yeah, that's, you know, I read the transcript and I can't see you dancing and, you know, doing headstands and things like that. And the fact is your facts suck and the law sucks and you lose. So it is what it is. I've just never, for me, it's just never been a personal thing. Like I don't, this is my job. And, you know, my kid and my wife and the things I do on the side, that's, that's my life. And I do the best I can, but I never, there's certain bounds I just don't overstep. You know, what's interesting to me about this is like, and I get the theatrics of like winning over, you know, jury, layman, layperson sentiments in a trial, but moving back to like the more common in-house scenario, which is like negotiating an agreement, negotiating a contract, uh, you know, whatever. Like these are very sort of like factual based debates amongst experts though like there is no jury there's no jury in the comment bubbles of the contract it's like lawyers and when you're direct a lot of times that gets perceived as like hostile it's confrontational i'm confronting what you suggested head on and saying i don't agree because of xy thing that we said last week here's the email to show it um but like i'm not being hostile i'm just telling you like this isn't what we agreed man or this is not something we can agree to because of this and uh, many times like i you know you hear the feedback of like oh that person's hard to negotiate with that, that, that should be the easiest person to negotiate with you might lose that negotiation you because that person's gonna hold you to the fire for the things that you said right but like like it doesn't make the negotiation more complicated. It just makes it harder if you're trying to be cutesy. If you're trying to be cutesy, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to hate it, and 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 you're going to be like you know keep running into uh, into obstacles. That's what you're actually complaining about that the other person is right, which is obnoxious. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think all these things are they're all different in their own ways, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, a negotiate the thing that drives me crazy about contract negotiations is bullshitting to bullshit. Like, I don't need to go back and forth and whittle you down and do all this crap. Like, just tell me what's the bottom line? What's the best you can do? If it doesn't work, then let's move on. But I don't want to spend three weeks going from here to here to here to here to here to here to here, trying to get it to some place where you don't know where it's going, right? And I know that's the strategy behind it sometimes, but at the end of the day, if you tell me the bottom line, we can say, I can do this or I can't do this. We can move on with our life. But I have a question about that. Y you both worked in large companies and I did too a while ago. Like enterprise procurement does not 
subscribe to that philosophy (laughs) and they subscribe to the complete opposite philosophy, which is like a a 40 inch thick playbook that they turn one page at a time. And I just got through a big deal. I'm not going to say who it is. Big company on the other side, super uh, nice person on the procurement side. So I've actually, you know, that was a benefit. The person was nice, but it was one page at a time. And I had to like consistently be like, well, I need to edit your DPA because of X reason. And then they go, okay, that's an acceptable reason to go. And like, and so why has enterprise procurement, why are they so much slower to adopt what you're saying, which is markedly more practical? Well, <clears throat> I mean, to me, I've always differentiated between procurement and legal, right? You can have a pragmatic lawyer who knows how to get stuff done. And then you can have a procurement team that that does have to run by a playbook and I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent, um, but when you've got some leeway to actually think as a lawyer, you can get stuff done. If you've got the procurement team and they have to run their playbook, you're kind of stuck with that. You can't always differentiate, though. Sometimes it's mixed, and sometimes you know those those people are working in tandem, and sometimes it's a contracts manager, or sometimes it's it's a junior attorney, or sometimes it's um sometimes the, the main thing is that you just can't get to the lawyer. That's the other thing is that. You know, you know this from being GC at a smaller company. Like, if I can get to the lawyer, I, I'm positive we can hash it out. You just sometimes yeah. can't get there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's <clears throat> that's why I think what we're talking about is in a vacuum, right? In a perfect world, you would say, "Hey, no bullshit, let's get to the bottom line." But we don't live in a perfect world, so mm-hmm. every contract negotiation is different, and every time you may have layers and layers and layers um, of, of either attorneys or procurement folks. It doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, this is a good example is when we sold Reverb to Etsy. Um, now, this isn't Etsy's fault by any stretch that people at Etsy are great. But uh, essentially, on the Reverb side was me and an outside counsel. And on their side was about five in-house attorneys and like, you know, 10 outside counsel. That created layers of difficulty um, because there was a lot more voices on their side weighing in. Where for me, I was like, look. I just, I need to get this deal done or I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Like I'm going to jump off a cliff. Um, but it's not bad. It's not bad. And that's how they did business. And I don't fault them. And I worked for them and it was great and everything worked out. But when you add different layers of people, things become more difficult. And you're absolutely right. There was one decision maker. You could just get the decision makers in a room and have them have a conversation. Everything would be great. But that's not how the world works. Was that better at Oracle? Who does so much M and A, or was it the same? Well, we did. I didn't do any of the M and A deals. Did you, Paige? <laughs> I, did. I, did, I did quite a few. Uh, like you know, Oracle's got a big bureaucracy, Andy. And I think, like, look, when you work at a small company, speed is of the essence. You want to get, you want to do this, you want to do that, and agility is is built in. When you're a large enterprise, you have millions of shareholders. Like the slow, methodical approach of attention to detail and leaving no stone uncovered becomes more important. Now, that doesn't mean you have to become over-bureaucratic and red tapey and a slow sludge of nightmare, but I think things do get slow when you get bi- slower when you get big. It's being vigilant against unnecessary uh, like uh, stickiness and, and slowness that is really important. Some companies do lose sight of that. I thought Oracle was pretty decent at like bringing together massive amounts of experts and large bureaucracy into some pretty good speed. And our M&A deals were not that lengthy. I've seen worse. Um, But I do think things slow down when you get big. And like, I come from government. You want to talk about slow? (laughs) Try to get concurrent on an interagency memo 
uh, memorandum of understanding. Take it two years, right? Like you don't want government to be fast though. And some things, sure, like a disaster recovery, but on like the m- process of making laws, fast lawmaking governments tend to be tyrannical. So like there's there's different organizations that have different interests. The smaller you are, the faster you want to move. Mostly that's a pretty golden rule. What's interesting to me about this conversation um, we're having with Colin is like how much we're talking about just like the conflict side of it, because like Colin, you sort of founded a company that focuses on unlocking a lot of this shit. Tell us a little bit about that, because you're one of the few guests that we've had that is a founder. And so tell us about what um, New Era does, man. I'm super interested. Yeah. So, um, I mean, everything, this sort of plays into everything we're talking about, right? Where, Where you think about bureaucracy, you think about wasting time, you think about cutting through the bullshit. For me, having been a litigator for 11 years, it was always in the back of my mind that I never really served clients very well. Um, not because of, you know, having self-interest or anything like that. I wasn't Mr. Hey, I'm going to, I want to build tons of hours to a case so I can get bigger bonuses. That wasn't me, but I just had this incredible feeling that the litigation process was completely broken. And that when I had clients who would come to me and say, help, I need help. These are legitimate issues and my business is crumbling. I need help. And I felt an overwhelming sense of not being able to help, right? So when you think of the litigation process, it is mired with bullshit. Everything we've discussed, it's tenfold in litigation, right? Because if the other side doesn't have a case, it's in their interest to drag things out as long as humanly possible to the point where somebody can't take it anymore. You get a settlement. Um, For me, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a place that gave you the option. Right. So if you want to go to court, you want to spend years, months and years and tons of money and crush people. Great. Then stay that way. Um, or if you want to stick with traditional arbitration, which to me looks exactly like court and is really no different. Great. Then include that in your in your contracts. But if you want something different and this definitely comes from the small company mindset, which is I don't have time for this. Right. So we have litigation at Reverb. I don't have time for this. I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to make value for my employees, for our shareholders. I don't have time for this litigation crap. So the concept was, what if we can create a place where you say, look, I have these options and then I have this option. And I'm going to include this option in my contracts because I'm willing to accept the fact that maybe I lose, but I'm better off losing fast. And if I win, I win fast and that's good too. So the original analogy I had in my head was telehealth. Um, so people always thought like, you can never do doctor's visits online. That's moronic. Like you you need to go and see a doctor and lo and behold, telehealth comes along and people love it because I don't want to go to see the doctor if I've got the flu, right? I just want, I want to talk to somebody online. I want them to tell me, great, go get some Theraflu or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But I liked that interaction. I said, this is simple. So the concept of new era is very similar, which is we can do this online, right? The pandemic taught us. so if you have something, you have it in your contract, you have a contract dispute, let's get it in front of somebody. Let's have that person make a decision. Let's move on with our lives. So New Era is all about cutting out the bullshit. That's that's really what it comes down to. We're a fully digital platform. We do arbitration. We do mediation. We do everything under 100 days. At least that's the goal. And it's all in line. So you're not paying lawyers to travel across the country, stay in the Four Seasons, eat steak dinners. We're saving money there. And if you're in-house, and I know you guys can appreciate this, and you've got to help run this process. Look, I can do it from my computer. And when I'm not engaged, I can click the, the video off and I can go do the other work I need to do. 
So we're trying to create efficiency. We're trying to eliminate bullshit. Maybe we're not perfect for everybody. That's fine. But if you want to make a decision that you want to do something fast and efficiently, then we are the right decision. So that's where it comes from. That's sort of my long-winded way of, of explaining how New Era came about. Here's why I think this is super cool, man. I hear a lot of... Conv- it's strange. Like LinkedIn is now this like place where there's much more vibrant conversation than there used to be. Yep. And I'm watching two sides sort of come into collision with each other. It's the, I can't wait to get back to in-person everything because that was the good old days and that's the most meaningful way to do business. And then there's the side that I'm on, which is like, I hated that in the first place. Yes. But now we've proven we don't need that at all. Um, and let's all save money, time and energy and like embrace all these tools that have come to the forefront and use them. It sounds like what you guys are doing at New Era is sort of like systematizing the dispute resolution process using technology. What are your and I love it. I, I'm a fan. You don't have to sell me on the concept. How do you sell the other guard, the old guard on the concept? Like what are the values there to bring people along is sort of my question. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's certain people you're never going to convince. Right. Um, And the truth is, like most of the people that we have run into massive opposition from, I'm going to be bluntly honest, probably going to be dead within 10 years. It's just a fact. (laughs) Um, So you guys don't like what I'm doing. Great. I don't care. We're going to continue doing what we're going to do because you're not going to be around. Um, (laughs) The reality is. I would say 98% of people that we have spoken to get the concept, agree on some level, even if there is some preference maybe for doing, you know, in-person testimony or things like that. But I think you also have to look at this in a certain way. I think we were forced to operate in this world because of the pandemic. So if you consider this the basement, this is as bad as it's going to get, right? Because we were forced into this. Think about how good it can be when we start focusing on doing business this way, we start building technology this way, when we start all operating in this manner, it's going to get better and better and better and better. We're going to build technology that makes testimony a million times better than it is, where you can see the fidgets and the shaking legs and things like that. We can do that. That's not impossible. It just doesn't exist yet because we were forced into this world. So for us, the other thing is, um, when you say, how do we convince people? Look, in-house counsel, get it, right? We're a cost center as in-house counsel. So if I'm billing a ton of stuff to litigation, I'm losing money. I'm going to have to answer to whoever it is, maybe my CFO, about why I wasted all this cash. Well, as in-house counsel, you're the client. So go to your outside lawyers and say, find me solutions. I'm not doing shit the way we used to do it. Forget the bill of lauer. You're not going to grind this case. Find me solutions or I'll find somebody else to do this. What we found is outside counsel comes to us at times, they're channel partners, and they say, hey, I need a solution. I need to bring something to my client and say, look, I found this. We say, hey, that's fantastic. Go be the hero. Be the person who rides in on the white horse and says, look what I found you. Take all the credit. We don't care because we're all getting to the same place. So it's not hard to sell somebody an efficiency and saving money and giving them their lives back. It's kind of like, Pedro, you were saying, like, what's the point of an hour and a half commute, right? Do I really have to convince you that an hour and a half commute sucks? If you love the hour and a half commute, then you're not my people. But if I just explained to you an hour and a half commute sucks, you most people nod and say, yeah, it's no different for convincing um, folks when they talk to us. Andy, you look thoughtful. Go. That's so interesting. I, I'm just reflecting, right? It's such an interesting concept. And I was thinking about 
just pers- a personal example, like when we had litigation um, two companies ago, it's the per- it would have been the perfect candidate for this kind of thing because it was it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was certainly enough to move to move the parties to be in litigation with one another. But it just felt so uh, just a, 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 it was a waste of time. It was a waste yes. of time. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of resources. And there are a host of reasons as to why we did it and why we thought it needed to be escalated in a certain way. But this would have been a nice escalation instead of we were in federal court like that just wasn't <laughs> it's no. a it's a perfect example of like, you know, uh, you know, using a sledgehammer to put in a thumbtack, you know, yeah. and it's it's interesting you say it because there's there's a couple of things. Number one, let's say you're in litigation with a vendor guarantee that business relationship is shot. You're going to spend a year, two, three, four in litigation. You're never working together again. You're going to hate each other. If you have a legitimate dispute, you can resolve it in 90 days. You might save that relationship, right? It might not be painful enough that you say, look, yeah, that happened. Neither of us were happy about it. I won. That's great. But you're still the best person to do this work for me. So I'd like to continue this professional relationship. In real litigation, that's never going to happen, ever. In our case, in our case, we would never have worked with those people again. But but your point is still valid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just the potential to save it. The other part is when you talk about just pure dollar value. Let's say you've got a five hundred thousand dollar contract, and you're sure you're right. The other side broke it. The reality is that's a calculus right now. Five hundred thousand dollars. You want to take that to litigation? You're going to lose that, right? You're going to spend that in legal fees. That might be real money to your organization. It sure as shit would have been to Reverb, right? So if I had to go to my CEO and say, hey, I'm going to lose $500,000, but I don't have a choice because if I hire lawyers, I'm going to spend it on them. And even if we win, we lose. Well, if we can cut down that time, that $500,000 becomes an actual recoverable amount, which can be tangible to your business. So I think we've entered this world where the dollar values have gone so high because the costs associated with it are so high that you start to lose real money. And if you're a small org, that might be your payroll. That might be the, the end of your business. And I'm acutely aware of those things. So we're very appreciative of the fact that like we can resolve smaller disputes that still are meaningful. We've got a bunch on the platform right now. They're around 19, 20,000 bucks. You would never bring that to court. But you know, we've got businesses that are saying, look, it's $19,000. It's not five bucks. Like, um, so we want to get this resolved. And if I can recover 15, that's worth my time. And we agree. It's, it's really that simple. We agree. Yeah. You know, that's meaningful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, it's super meaningful. And the idea of like lower temperature, less kinetic, uh, disagreement and disagreement resolution it's to me like so foreign to so many lawyers. Like it's like you don't always have to come out bazookas blazing, man. You know, like yeah. and so like take your armor off and like reach your hand out and let's see if we can solve something. And your point about preserving the relationship instead of turning a small d- dispute into, uh, you know, the end of a re- working relationship. It doesn't have to be that way. I'd love that attitude. And I think more of that needs to be evangelized and. You should post on LinkedIn and Twitter about it. I'm going to retweet and repost all that shit because it's a <laughs> mindset shift for the profession. It, um, is. Um, it really is. And it's a it's a healthy one. Speaking of yeah. like healthful mindsets, 
like, dude, you're like into other shit too. That it's sort of related, but not really. And like, I know you're a big mindfulness guy. I know you've been really honest about yourself on LinkedIn and and some of the challenges you face as a person. And you've channeled that energy into like building resources for people. Um, uh, and one of them is an app. Tell us a little bit about that stuff, man. Like super interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, when you get into mental health, mental health is something that I, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's, this has truly become a passion of mine. And, and the reason being was, like five, six, seven years ago, probably even before that, I just had this incredible temper. Like when you talk about temper, it was like flashpoint, right? And my wife was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I couldn't really figure it out. Now I played football for 10 years. I I don't discount the fact that I probably have some level of CTE. I don't know if I'll do donate my brain at some point, but that's always in the back of my mind is what kind of head trauma have I experienced? And does that impact um, you know, the way that my emotions function. But when it comes down to it, what it, what it really came down to is my wife said, you need to go get some help, right? Because I can't live like this and, and you shouldn't want to live this way either. So I got into therapy and people are like, oh, that, are you embarrassed? I'm like, what the fuck should I be embarrassed about? Like, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. But what I learned was anger, uncontrollable anger is a symptom of depression. And I don't think people know that. So I, when they talk about depression statistics, which are terrifying, um, you know, I think it's like 12 million people, 12 million people in the United States every year have um, deep suicidal thoughts, right? Deep suicidal thoughts. Three and a half million plan their suicide. One and a half million attempt it, right? Now let's think about the people who don't even know like what's wrong with them, who are thinking, oh, I've just, I have an anger issue. No, you don't you may actually have depression. So for me, it's become kind of a mission to, to educate people and say, look, there's nothing wrong. Like I'm a big, tough guy. You know, if somebody wants to get in a fight with me, I may lose, but you're going to have a rough time. So, but it's, there's nothing wrong for me to talk about the fact that I was diagnosed with depression. I'm not embarrassed about anything. It was a learning experience for me to say, Hey, now when it comes to treating it, <clears throat> it's great to say we should educate people, but you need to give them resources to help themselves. So when I got into therapy, one of the things they, they told me was you should try mindfulness meditation. So I got calm and I got headspace and I listened and I wanted to kill somebody like some British guy telling me to stop thinking about my thoughts and like clear my head. <laughs> and all I kept thinking was asshole, like maybe I could clear my head if you would shut the fuck up. But ever, <laughs> since every time my head starts to clear out, you come back and say, stop thinking about anything. I was ready to smash my phone. So the idea was like, how do I, how do I combine this, the, the idea of mindfulness with something that's not going to piss me off? And I thought and thought and thought and was like, well, you know what? What if I just did something that would make me laugh? Because laughter is truly is one of the most powerful emotions, right? They say there's only two emotions that can change the way you feel in an instant, which is fear, right? You're moseying down the road. You're having a great day. Car almost hits you. Immediate emotion change. You're having the worst day on the planet. Somebody makes you laugh, immediate motion change. So I thought, how can we combine, combine the concept of mindfulness and humor um, into an app that sort of mirrors what Calm and Headspace does, but instead of sitting there with some British asshole telling you to not think about anything, let somebody sit there and make you laugh. You're not going to think about the day. You're not going to think about what's coming up. You're just going to have a good time. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you reset, you move on with your life, right? 
So that was the idea behind Gfulness. I don't, I can't take a lot of, it was my idea. Um, I've really had a couple of guys who have taken and run with it and built the platform and done all the content. And it's, it's still beta. It's got some bugs and stuff, but it's fun to listen to. And the content's really, it, it's, it's just a good time. So you listen to it for 10 minutes in the morning, you reset, you feel good about yourself, you move on with your day. And I don't have some British asshole telling me to stop thinking about the world. Um, so that's it. That's the, it's combination of what I've experienced in my life and trying to create a tool that I think would help me and then getting it out in the world and saying, look, if mindfulness, traditional mindfulness doesn't work for you, maybe this does give it a shot. I, I hope it helps. Um, I don't know if it will, but, but we'll see. Do you use it, uh, Pedro? Me? No, I it? haven't used it yet, but I'm gonna, um, I'm really excited. This is something really new, by the way, that Colin just started, uh, it was, uh, yeah. six months ago, six months That's, ago. I, I, so, I mean, I've been building it for a while, but I think I just posted about it on LinkedIn on Friday. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, like, so it's, it's really new. So I haven't used it yet. Um, I, I'm glad to hear that some British pompous guys are going to be telling me about my own thoughts because <laughs> no. I, I share a lot of like Colin's attitudes, right? Like one of the things about my success, I'm very aware of when I talk to my therapist is like my self-assuredness is what gives me the courage to do things that others aren't willing to do. But at the same time, it can keep me from seeking help and care when I need it. And I think that's what you're at, like striking at the heart at, which is like, you can be really tough, but that doesn't mean you're invincible. Um, and it also, you could be right a lot of the time. And it doesn't mean that when you're wrong, you're not really wrong. And so building a methodology and a platform to think those things through and figure out when you should trust your instincts and when they're maybe a little off is really important for people who are confident and successful, by the way. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and so like, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you're trying to do and to answer your question directly, Andy, I'll definitely use it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's good to be tough and, you know, we could talk about like newer generations and, um, and, and, you know, how they're a little bit maybe more sensitive than, um, me as a Gen Xer, but the reality is toughness is a, a, a good value and a bad value because yeah. just like you said, Pedro, it can get you into situations where you just think you just curl up in your shell and say, I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to fight through this. That's how people have cathartic events and hurt themselves, right? Yeah. Because you get to a point where you say, I can't deal with this, but I should be able to, because I'm a tough person. We have to change that mindset you, we really have to get away from like, I can just plow through anything because yeah. everybody needs help. Everybody has problems. The minute you admit that and get some help, you're going to find the world is a completely different place. Um, but there's still very much this mindset of like, no, no, I'm, I'm too tough for it. I'm a guy, right? I, I can deal with this. I'm, I'm supposed to be the pillar of my family. That's all fine and dandy, man. But you need some time to yourself. You need to figure out your own life at times too. That's so, so important big uh big proponent of the the sensitivity also of the upcoming generation with my kids and seeing like the way they uh kind of uh, i'm hopeful right there's hopefulness in there for me in terms yeah. of sensitivity the ability of that generation to discuss we're not there yet by any means right. but there is was certainly more than when we were growing up like there there's you know there's access and ability to utilize therapy as an example, like it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm glad that it's out there a little more. It's still not enough though. I mean, not, it's not normalized enough. I was it's at crazy. a dinner on, 
I was at a okay, dinner on okay. Saturday. With, yeah, I was at a dinner on Saturday with two of my good friends. And we sat next to this young woman who was sitting next to us at, at, at the table adjacent. And um, for whatever reason, we all sparked up a conversation. I, I want to tell you she was 22 years old. It was 21 or 22 years old. And she went on for about 10 minutes about mindfulness and like her own courage about like, like it was a really interesting conversation to have with someone half my age. But what I sat in wonder of, which is sort of what you're getting to, Andy, is when I was her age, I did not have this level of sophistication or understanding. I don't have it now. I don't have it now of my own inner workings. So they are far ahead of where I am 20 years later, um, or at least this individual woman is. Um, and, and I see that sort of trending when I talk to young people and it gives me a lot of hope. I mean, it remains to be seen like if that's healthy over time or not, we don't know, but like, it seems to me that it is. Um, and, and your point, uh, Colin about like bringing us old dogs into the fold is, is, is critical because you don't have to suffer, man. Like the life is not about proving to everyone how much you can take on and, and handle like that. I don't, I don't think that's what we're here to do. I agree. No. <clears throat> and I give, you know, I, I, in the article I wrote for entrepreneur, I, I give a lot of credit to the athletes who have come out and said, because th mm -hmm. those are the people that you view like, Oh, they can do mm -hmm. anything. Right. They're, they're amazing. And there was actually a, a really cool moment this weekend. So uh, you guys may know I'm, a, I'm an MMA guy, and I think you might even have some questions about that. But there was a guy from, I think he's from Ireland, and he won this this weekend. Um, and he said after his what his best friend had killed himself, and I think a day before his fight, like a day before his weigh-in. And he so he beats the shit out of this guy, chokes him out in the, in the cage, and afterwards says, hey, this is the time for guys to start talking about this stuff, right? Because it's not embarrassing. It's not weird. It doesn't make you weak. But if the choice is talking or having like my friend kill himself, like let's talk all day. Right. Talk. So I give a lot of credit to athletes who have come out and said like, look, I'm not okay. You may think I'm Superman or Superwoman or um, super. They, I want to make sure that I'm being politically correct here. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not okay. Like I can show up and do amazing things, but when I walk off the court or the ice or the field, I don't, I feel fucked up. So I went and got help for that and I'm not embarrassed and I'm happy to talk about it. I think they have opened a million different doors for people to say, well, you know, if Kevin Love can talk about this and Serena Williams can talk about this, then it's okay for me to talk about it too. I totally agree, man. Naomi Osaka comes to mind to me as like yep. a young sort of like revolutionary in courage. And what I mean by that is teaching old people like me what it means to be brave. And it doesn't necessarily mean gut out the tennis tournament at the expense of your well-being. Like, And yep. she's proving that you don't have to do that. I'm really proud of her. I watched a documentary about her on Netflix and I thought it was a revelation um, yep. about how to have like a, just a better way of approaching the world, even when you are a transcendent talent with gifts that, you know, everyone looks at and goes, I wish. Yep. But Andy, you're right too. It's like this concept that this, I think this younger generation, it's not going to be taboo. It's not going to be something that you, it's just going to be normal to talk about these things. And I do hope that that makes it easier. Um, I'm sure that'll probably create other issues too, but in a world where you don't have to think that people are going to make fun of you for going to therapy, that's got to be a better world. I hope so. You know, got little kids and I, and I hope so for their, for their sake and not really everybody, but, but especially, you know, for, for their, their sake.
Yep. I think we got to wrap up. Um, Colin, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for letting us use your platform. Your Zencaster yeah. platform. So shout no out to man. Shout out no to Zencaster. Yeah, shout out to Zencaster. <laughs> this was flawless so far. And uh Colin, thanks, man. I know you and I have been talking in the background a long time. I've wanted you on the podcast for a while. I'm glad we finally made this happen. And I'm proud of you, man. You're like out there doing bold things and uh starting businesses and and nice. And you're a role model for the rest of us, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. At the end of the day, what I would like to do is make make a couple of changes in the world and then ride off into the sunset and do the stuff I want to do. So. Perfect. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. It's been great.